Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome all of you here. So glad that you're with us. And would you do me a favor? I was just reflecting on how happy it makes me whenever I see one of our young people serving communion. So would y'all help me in thanking Cohen for coming up here? Uh, today at 2 p.m. we have singing at the Good Old Witcher Nursing Home at 2. So if you'd like to come, please let me know. I'd love to know if it's just me flying solo or if it's going to be a duet or a trio. What? That's not it. It's not, what is three? Three people. Is it a trio? Okay. What about in like a band, like solo and ensemble? A trio? A trio? Okay. If there's four, it's a quartet, right? Five? What is that? Quintet? Now we're cooking. Let's do a quintet today, y'all. How about four of y'all come up to me and uh, so we can have a good crowd uh, singing with uh, our friends at Good All Winter. So that's today at two. I'd hope to see you there. As all of you probably will expect, because outside it just feels like fall, right? You know, it just feels, no, it doesn't yet, but soon it will. But what, what are the things that we love about fall? We love that it hopefully starts to feel cooler, please. We hope that it starts to feel cooler. We hope that there's rain. Yeah, we hope, you know, this doesn't happen as much in Texas, but it happens some places in Texas where we see some leaves changing colors. And, you know, for those of you who partake, everything that you love starts to become pumpkin flavored. And you get to just enjoy all the things that you, you know, love. It's just delicious, but now it's pumpkin spice latte instead of something else. Um, but as you might expect, one of the things that most of you are probably thinking that we love about fall is that football is back. Okay? So I want to make a little point. You ready? Today, it is very applicable that yesterday was the second week of college football. Today is the first week of professional football. Because today we are talking about Moses trying to implore the people not to follow false idols. And it is quite ironic that there is very few things in America that look more like pagan worship than football. And in other countries, it's also football, it's just soccer, but they call it football. But there's also plenty of places in the rest of the country where one of the things that looks the most like pagan worship is Sports and before you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some comparisons. I have to say this. First of all, I enjoy football because it's like something I associate with family. Also, I enjoy the food that's usually associated with it, and you know it's fun. It's kind of this thing that just feels like it's just fun to care about something that you know doesn't matter, but you forget it doesn't matter sometimes, right? But I want you to admit to yourself that let's think about the ways this is a little bit like pagan worship. And before you start to get defensive, remember, if you start to get defensive, it's probably a sign that it's an idol of yours. So don't tell me you're getting defensive because then you're kind of like, like turning yourself in. And then number two, if anything, if you feel like you're stepping on, if I'm stepping on your toes, I am going to have very crushed toes by the end of this analogy. Does that make sense? No one will have more crushed toes than me. But let's just think about a few things. You know, these uh, cultures, whenever they were going to worship pagan gods, they would set up these huge temples, these huge altars, these huge coliseums for people to come and gather, right? And also there would be these chants 
and these things that you would sing to your gods, you know? We don't ever have like bands or chants or anything, you know, like that at our games though. Or or there might be a lot of prayer. And you know, we never find ourselves praying during a football game. I had a professor who used to say the holiest day of the week is Sunday, but not because of church, but because there's a lot of people. Please let him catch it. Please let us score. Or, you know, there might be large statues at a pagan worship. There might be these big statues to a god, or there might be these big murals of these athletes that we have that we look up to and we idolize. Uh, we might have even ways in which we put on our ceremonial attire before we go to pagan worship, you know? Maybe our certain clothes that we wear, or certain ways we paint our face. Or, sadly, I, I didn't put a picture up, there may be even some ways that we get tattoos over our whole back. Where in pagan worship, they would mark their bodies. But we don't do that, you know? There's no way you could Google Dallas Cowboys back tattoos and not find a plethora of pretty huge stars on some guys' backs, okay? Because that, that would never happen, right? But I'm using all these illustrations to try and make the point that it may seem hyperbolic, but at the same time, it really is sadly not that hyperbolic, right? You with me? I was one of my best friends growing up, he was a big fan of Arsenal, the English Premier League soccer team. I know none of you pay attention to that, but I pay attention to Arsenal just because it was a way for me and my friend to connect. And I watched last Sunday the highlights of the Arsenal versus Manchester United game, and at the very end, the announcer literally said from the Emirates Stadium in England, London, the commentator said at the very end, Sunday worship at the Emirates has concluded. And I know he was making a joke, but kind of not, right? It's kind of like one of those puns that's like kind of like, that's kind of scary how realistic that is. So for some of you, you may be sitting here going, I'm glad I'm not like those people, but you might idolize some actors or actresses, or you might idolize some musicians that if I told you that a certain musician was gonna walk right through here, you might react crazy, you know what I mean? Okay, so before we bash on the sports fans too much, there also might be some of you that if you got a chance to meet certain political people that came into this room, you might lose your mind because of the position you put that political person in. So today we are talking about Moses reiterating to the people of Israel the command to worship God alone. Deuteronomy 6, he starts, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And this is where people debate on how to translate it. They'll either say the Lord alone or they'll say the Lord is one. And he's reiterating, when you go into this promised land, the reason that all these people are about to get kicked out of the promised land is because they have been worshiping other gods. And when you get there, you will be susceptible to worshiping all these other gods. At the very end of Deuteronomy 12, right before where we're going to be reading today, he says things like, okay, all these people that we're driving out, they are worshiping other gods. He even says some of the ways that they worship these other gods is they will even burn their own children as a sacrifice. He's like, do not start to pursue these other gods. Stick with me. Stay with me. Do not go off on this path. And when you hear when you hear me say this word, don't worship other gods, you probably are still associating the word worship with singing, right? And that's a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to get into that. But we know from our following God and reading scripture, we're really thankful for Romans 12, that true worship is not just about your songs. When we sing, we are worshiping. But that's not the only way we worship. So whenever you hear me say, Moses is telling the people of Israel, don't go worship. These are some of the things you should be thinking of. 
Worship is the thing that consumes our minds and our conversations all the time. Whatever you constantly talk about at breakfast with the boys, it's something you worship, okay? The thing that we cover our bodies with, the thing that we plaster all over our homes, or the thing that we allow to be constantly coming out of our televisions are things that we worship. What we have our kids, we care, really care about them experiencing is something we worship. The messages we want them to hear might be something that we worship. Worship is the thing that we say, if I just have blank, I'll be all right. Whatever you fill in that blank is what you worship. Or the opposite. If I don't have blank, whatever you put in that blank, I just won't be able to make it. That is what you worship. Worship, you could say, is the same as loyalty or trust. What do you worship? Well, where is your trust grounded? What do you worship? Well, where is your joy rooted? Moses is going to take the command of only worshiping God alone, and he's going to reemphasize it here in Deuteronomy 13, and he's going to expound on it with three very realistic examples of what those people might have been going through. It may not feel realistic to us, but I'm going to do my best to show you that it's also realistic for us today. So here are three ways that the people of Israel might be in the promised land coerced into worshiping other gods. And like I said, I'm going to try to read it, try to show you some of the ways that we can't relate to it, and then some of the ways that we can relate to it. So the first way he talks about in Romans 13, Romans, in Deuteronomy 13, starting in verse 1, is by an influential voice. If a profitable, this would have been to them. If some wise person came into town and says, I'm a prophet, I speak for the divine, for gods. And they said, oh yeah, show me a sign. If you were in Bible class today, you could relate to some people like the Pharisees saying to Jesus, okay, you say you're divine, give us a sign. All right? This would have been common. They say, all right, you're a prophet, give us a sign. And they say, well, let me tell you this. For the next three weeks, it won't rain one drop. And for the next three weeks after that, it will nonstop rain. If that were to happen, it would make perfect sense for the people of Israel to go. This guy knows what he's talking about. This person is a prophet. We should listen to them. And if that prophet then says, okay, we need to go start worshiping other gods, you are going to be very susceptible to going, hey, he called the rain thing. We got to go follow him. But Moses said, do not do that. And you might think, yeah, but you know this isn't relatable to us. We don't necessarily have dreamers or prophets coming around, but I want to kind of try and make the point to you that this happens all the time in so many different ways with people who I will call influential voices. You all know people that we would consider, if, if, I, if we were in Bible class right now, and I asked you who are the most influential voices in America right now, we could list them out, right? And they are going to constantly be trying to tell you Amen. Thank you. They're going to constantly be trying to tell you, I know what's going to happen with the stock market, with politics, with economy, with war, with whatever. And when they're right, guess what we all do? Hey, they were right on. You know, we got to start listening to them. We got to start following them. And sadly, this doesn't just happen with politicians. It happens with everybody, including preachers. Just because a preacher or a leader of God's people stands up and says, hey, I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. I'm quoting the Bible. You should listen to me. Doesn't mean that they are leading you towards worshiping God, right? Satan was good at quoting the Bible, right? Just because you quote the Bible doesn't mean, oh, that's an influential voice. Oh, that's somebody we should be following. Moses is trying to tell the people, anytime you find yourself following God 
following Jesus and some voice comes along and says, I can speak for the divine. I have special message. You should come and let's start trusting in our loyalty and worshiping these other things. Don't follow them. Number two, the next, next example in verse six is he talks about how a loved one or a friend, if your very own brother or your son or daughter or your, the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. This is intense. But Moses is saying, you're maybe going to have some people that are like, you see those people over there? What they've got looks really good. Can we just go worship that? That looks nice. That doesn't happen today, though, right? We don't have any loved ones that look around at what looks nice over there or what seems better or what seems easier or wealthier or whatever and go, can't we just kind of worship that for a little while? Can't, can we just go there? And Moses is saying, don't listen. Stay with Yahweh. And then the next one, the third example, is a whole city. In verse 12, he says, If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known, then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. If it is true and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must completely put the sword uh, put to the sword all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. We can see that maybe not a, we may not think of a city necessarily, but we can see whole groups, whole factions, whole fraternities of people that have come to this way. For Jesus, the people that is that group that he's the most mad at for leading the group astray is who? It's the Pharisees, right? It's not the, the worst people. It's the people who are the ones that you would think are the group that's the closest to God, the one that's the most holy. And yet he's the, they're the ones that, so you're not allowed to listen to this part and go, oh, I know what group Drew's talking about. But with one of the things I, I have to point out because I'm not going to shy around it, I'm not going to ignore it, even though it's really tough, with all three of these analogies, Moses says that the punishment for this is capital punishment. You should kill the prophet, you should kill your loved one, and you should destroy the city. And I I really don't like it. And if you're listening and you're like, oh, I love that part, then we got to talk after the sermon, okay? <laughs> That's not great. But I want to try my best. You know, something we've constantly got to do is instead of comparing Moses' testament, Moses' teaching to modern 2023, we probably need to compare it better to what the neighboring towns were doing. That's something you probably need to do. And another thing you need to do is we need to recognize that instead of reading this tribal laws, we need to look for the truth, that core thing. And the core thing to me is that for Moses, this is incredibly important. Does that make sense? This isn't a small thing. Oh, they, they started worshiping something else? Oh, man, that's a bummer. Well, hopefully they come back. To Moses, it's, this is dire. This is incredibly serious whenever you start to worship other gods. And so there are three important reflections for us as we think about this idea. So let's track with me. Make sure we're all together. Moses, we are going into the promised land. Do not go worship other gods. It might happen from a prophet. It might happen from a loved one. It might happen from a city or a large group. This is terrible. Do not let this happen. 
What is the point of this? Why does this matter to Moses? Well, the first thing is, is that we are made to worship God alone. And when we worship other gods, our life and our community decays. When an instrument lives out its design, it honors the maker of that instrument and it finds its greatest satisfaction in living that out. And when an instrument lives for a different purpose, it dulls, it breaks, and decays that instrument, right? If I went out and bought a $10,000 medical equipment at the hospital for doing heart scans, and one day you walk in and you find that they're using it to like build a sandcastle, your first thought would be like, no, that's not what that's for. You're breaking it. You're hurting it. Like, oh, well, I'm just building a sandcastle. There's nothing wrong with it. For Moses, what he's saying is we are made to glorify God. And every time you start to worship other gods, everything that God designed in you to be a well-tuned instrument for life and joy and good is going to start to erode and decay and break your communities whenever you do this. Does that make sense? Not with me if that makes sense. The second thing that we see from Deuteronomy 13 that Moses is teaching us is that we as people, I use the word bent, I don't want to say predisposed, I don't want to say we are designed, I don't want to say any of that. But I do want to say we are bent toward replacing God with gods. These people in Deuteronomy, they are being led by others to worship Baal or Asherah or Moloch or whatever. And so I can see you sitting there thinking, Drew, I have never in my life once been tempted to go worship Baal. Anybody in here had a friend like, hey, we're having a birthday party, but before we start, we're going to go around the Baal altar real quick. There's an Asherah pole in my living room. We're going to worship to that for a little while. No one's been there, right? No one's, no one's ever been tempted to worship Molech. But I can tell you, we are constantly tempted from the beginning of time to now to take where God is supposed to be in our place of worship in our heart and switch him out with something else. When Eve is standing there by the tree and the snake tempts her, he says, did God really say that? Are you sure? Like, you know, don't you think you maybe know better? Don't you, don't you think it's possible for you to decide what is right and wrong and then that would be a better life? What's the temptation? To replace God deciding what is wrong with us deciding what is wrong. Who is the idol? Us and our wisdom and our knowledge. Or we see, it's so funny, I was thinking as I was preparing this, I was like, there's that place in scripture, that place where God says, if you have a king, never let that king accumulate horses, wives, or wealth. Three big things. What are those? Horses. Anybody know what that is? If you have lots of horses, you have military power. The thing that you are worshiping is not God anymore. The thing that you're trusting in is not God anymore. You are trusting, we're going to be good because I've got all this military might. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? Right? Or the second thing they say to the kings, don't accumulate wives. It's not because of a sex thing. It's because of a political power thing. If you have all these wives from all these different nations, then those nations aren't going to attack you because they're like, well, he's married to my daughter, so I'm not going to go attack him because he might kill my daughter. This happened all the time, like in medieval times. The king of France would marry the king of Germany's daughter so that Germany wouldn't come invade. And so this line about don't have all these wives is a way of saying, don't put your worship and your trust in politics. Oh, but we would never do that today, right? We would never think, well, if this person gets elected, the sky is falling, and if this person gets elected, we're fine. Because that would be worshiping an idol, right? Trusting in something that isn't God, right? Or the third one, so we got horses, we got wives, wealth. Now that one, that was not applicable at all either. But the king shouldn't trust, I'm going to be good because of all this money that I have. 
And I remembered as I was prepping for this sermon going, now before I quote that, I need to make sure I find where that is. And guess what? It's in Deuteronomy 17. Do not acquire horses or wives or wealth and put your trust and your worship in them. And then the final one, final analogy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul mocks Rome because he's talking about when the end comes. He says, when the end comes, people are going to be telling you peace and security. And he quotes what Rome calls the Pax Romana, meaning that, hey, if you just are part of the Roman Empire, you're going to be at peace. Things are going to be good. And if you put your trust that Rome is going to take care of you, then that's the thing you worship. But that will not work when the end comes. Okay? But if you're worshiping God and your trust is in Him and you haven't replaced Him with that thing, then you're in good shape. I want to I say one thing that is stepping on the toes a little bit. Next year is 2024, which will be another election year. And I'm going to, to anyone who wants to come shake my hand afterwards, we can. I'm going to bet you $1,000. That, that would probably be, I might get fired for gambling in church. But I'll bet you $1,000. That there will be someone who will try and speak and convince you and convince the public that if you want to feel safe, if you want to feel secure and wealthy and successful, then you should put your trust in them. And if you want to feel afraid and in danger and that everything's going to be terrible, that you should fear that other person. I can guarantee you that message will be said because they are playing on your worship. They are playing on who you are going to replace as your God and your trust by saying, if you actually want to make sure you're going to be okay, trust this person, not God. Does that make sense? And it's very easy for us to replace God with a capital G, with God, lowercase g. And then the third thing is, for Moses, the community of faith must stay vigilant about worshiping God alone. This is not a, oh man, I hope we don't start worshiping other gods. We have got to stay on top of this. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we stay on top of this? And Dan did such a good job with his Lord's Supper because this is the answer. The way we stay on top of this is we create rhythms and routines to remind ourselves of who our God is and who we trust, where our allegiance lies. So when we come in here once a week and we pray and we sing and we listen, and we sing songs like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We don't say, because my 401k, I can face tomorrow. Because my politics is all perfectly set. We don't sing that. We sing, because he lives, I have trust and loyalty. I'm worshiping him. And what I want you to hear me say, this is very important. If you grew up where the reason we do communion, the reason we do prayer and song is because it's a rule that we have to do. You've missed it. We believe we have to glorify God, and so we put rhythms in place so that we constantly stay vigilant about worshiping God alone. Why is it important that you come to church? It's not because we're going to disfellowship you and say, hey, if you miss five Sundays in a row, you're going to hell. That's not why. It's because we believe you need to be here so you can stay vigilant about we are going to worship God alone. How many of you have a, an aging parent that you call weekly? You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about it. Some of you maybe have an aging parent that you reach out to on once a week or a once a month basis. Is it because there's this rule that says in the Bible, every Saturday at 8 a.m. you better call your mom? No, but if you love your mom, and you want to stay in touch, then you create a rhythm 
a routine of checking in with her. Does that make sense? So how do we as a community, it's not that God gave us these rules to do all this so that it's like, well, you better follow these rules. It's because God and the people of God know we've got to stay vigilant about this. And so we've got to put rhythms and routines in our way so that we're constantly coming back to this is what sustains us. So that we're constantly, every time we take the bread, we go, this is what I need to make it through the week. And if I didn't have this, I wouldn't make it. We take the cup and we say, this is what I need to make it through the week. And if I didn't have this, I wouldn't make it. That is how we show what we worship through those things. Because we are habit-forming people. We are going to form habits around whatever we worship. Right? Remember my analogy with the whole football thing at the very beginning? There's a lot of routines and habits that people create around football. And yes, I'm trying to be gentle. Yes, I'm not saying that those are their idols. But I am telling you, what you are vigilant about maintaining your routines is the thing that you prioritize. It's the thing that you will be consumed with. When we form habits of worship around glorifying and worshiping God, we will live into the best expression of who God made us to be. And when we form habits of worship around our idols, we and our family and our communities will start to erode and decay. So this is the thing I want to end with. This is the last thing. When you boil all this down, I hope you drive home and when someone says, well, what was the sermon about today? Or, you know, what did you learn about in class? I want the number one thing for you to think about is, it is not easy for us to stay worshiping God alone. It is easy for us to start replacing God with other things. And for Moses, it's incredibly important that we become the people who are passionately, constantly trying to remind ourselves we have got to keep our trust and our hope and our worship in God alone. And the way that we do that is by reading God's word together. The way that we do that is praying together. The way that we do that is singing together because he lives. By taking the Lord's Supper, by being together and saying, don't forget y'all. Because guess what? In 2024, you're going to need someone to say to you, don't forget where our hope lies. Don't forget where our trust lies. Right? Okay. So, I hope if any of you are here or watching online and you're thinking, you know, he's talking a lot about staying focused on worshiping God alone. Well, what if I haven't given my life to Christ yet? What if I haven't started worshiping God alone? If any of you would like to talk about that or would like to know more about that, I'd love to talk with you anytime this week or whenever. Send me an email if you'd like to. Um, but let's... Uh, if you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be at the doors when we stand and sing this song.